bacteriologists are united in their pursuit of common truths. Chocolate versus vanilla, left versus right, cryptid uprising, power over another conspiracy is not okay, cube clearance is topic of overlords, podcasts speak truth, we pod together, we the sheeple, one, two, three, A, B, C, winding, theriology. <laughs> At least, that's what I hear. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode, episode 10, Q-Level Security Clearance. Is Q-Clearance a real thing? And if so, what is the history behind this and other high-level security clearance classifications? And what does it actually mean to have security clearance? Well, after the break, we'll explore all things above top secret about this mysteriously titled Q-Clearance. Theoryologists, let's talk security clearances, specifically the often touted and grossly misunderstood Q-clearance classification, most recently brought into public perception through the QAnon phenomenon that claims Q-clearance is a basis for insider access. This clearance level classification is presumed to provide above top secret access held at only the highest levels of political insiders. While we're not going to talk about QAnon specifically, we will touch upon it as we explore a bit of the history behind security clearance in general. You know, the, the recent events that have put Q-clearance in the public eye and what it really means to have Q-level clearance. Now, we won't be getting into QAnon specifically, as I mentioned, and that's largely because that's a whole different can of worms and ball of wax. But it definitely is the motivation behind this episode. Uh, QAnon has captured the public imagination by storm, but for some slightly different reasons. So we decided to focus on a key aspect here, and that is this claim of Q clearance, which adds a, a an element of weight of gravitas and legitimacy 
apparently by many of the uh, the followers for QAnon. So first, as we talk about this, let's let's dive into a bit of the background and origins on this. And this is very much an origin story on this. The history of the Q clearance or Q access authorization uh, is that it's a Department of Defense, DOE, security clearance uh, required to access top secret restricted data or other classifications such as formally restricted data, national security information, as well as secret restricted data. See, restricted data is defined in the Atomic Energy Act of 1954, and it covers nuclear weapons and related materials. The lower level L clearance is sufficient for access to secret formerly restricted data and national security information, as well as confidential restricted data and formerly restricted data and all these other different types of identifiers that they use to parse up and classify this information for various access uh, permissions. Um, and all of this stuff is only granted on a need-to-know basis to personnel with, with the appropriate clearances. See, a Q clearance is equivalent to uh, a United States Department of Defense top-secret clearance for access to some classified information, such as sensitive compartmented information, or special access programs. Additional requirements or special conditions can be imposed by the information owner even if the person is otherwise eligible to be granted a security clearance or access authorization based on reciprocity. We'll discuss reciprocity a bit in a second. Anyone possessing an active Q clearance is always categorized as holding a national security critical sensitive position um, and uh, this sensitivity is a level three there's various levels of sensitivity but we're not going to get into that detail additionally most q cleared incumbents will have uh, collateral responsibilities that designate them as, as level four which is national security special sensitive personnel you know with these two designations standing as really the highest risk sensitivity levels, people in these positions hold extraordinary accountability. And they have the, a tremendous potential to cause exceptionally grave or inestimable damage to the national security of the U.S. See, the need for security clearances became an issue really at the end of World War II uh, when the Manhattan Project uh, was picking up steam and was transferred to a new entity known as the Atomic Energy Commission. There were thousands of civilians that were going to be hired. And this newly drafted Atomic Energy Act of 1947 required some controls over access to this restricted data and nuclear materials. Because of this rush to hire people for the AEC, a regulation was, was written that established three types of clearances based on the individual's need for access to restricted data. Now, take special note of that, an individual's need for access. The trend for the day was these single letter classifiers, uh, just pulled from the alphabet, 
for various things, P, S, and Q, from the personnel security questionnaire form uh, was used for the three levels. P was for employees having no access to restricted data or security exclusion areas. S was for frequent visitors to the AEC facility who really wouldn't have any access to the restricted data. And Q specifically was for those with access to restricted data and security exclusion areas, meaning those areas off limits, but for those with a specific need to be in them. It was the Q that required a full FBI background check. Interestingly, really, the military implemented an M clearance for non-civilian personnel who needed access to restricted data. And the AEC had the right to review M clearances to ensure that comparable standards were being used. So what were the permissions, really, with, with Q clearance? Actually, there were two uh, classifications of Q clearance, Q sensitive and Q non-sensitive. Uh, Q sensitive uh, allows access to special nuclear material uh, which in which an employee with Q sensitive clearance could have access to nuclear weapons design, manufacture, uh, and use data. I mean, this this is the sort of disclosure that could cause exceptional damage to the nation, especially in that time of, of a race to develop this, this nuclear inf- uh, technology. The Q non-sensitive uh, allows access to special nuclear material category 2. This uh, higher uh, SNM category, uh, the more readily the material can be converted to a nuclear explosive device. Categories 1 and 2 required special protection, such as armed guards. So the people doing this sort of work with these sort of clearances were working under armed protections. Now, the government uh, has trusted about 4.3 million people with various levels of security clearance. As of the number I found here was as of uh, October of 2015. And this is actually down some from earlier. So I'm not sure what it is currently, but it's either holding steady or it's probably somewhere around this or just below. Um, These include nearly 2.9 million people at the confidential or secret level and nearly 1.4 million at the top secret level. Now remember the top secret level is equivalent to the Q clearance. But the DOE employees and contractors only comprise a few hundred thousand of those total clearance holders. Now let's get into finally discussing this reciprocity. I mentioned before that there was this level of reciprocity, meaning a recognition between the DOD and the DOE with these uh, approved clearances. You know, the, the fact that someone in the DOE uh, and with Q clearance could be recognized uh, if needed to access information uh, at least at some level and be allowed to have access to DOD specific information or perhaps other areas. There's 
uh, Department of State, there's the White House administration, and there's other areas where effectively having the Q clearance if you were had transitioned out of DOE and moved into one of these other departments, your clearance, uh, this clearance reciprocity would allow your your your, uh, your clearance level to transfer over to whatever the the current clearance uh, current clearance level is for for that uh, for that organization. Now, the reason I bring this up is is I think it's important because it does at least open the door to the possibility of the legitimacy of the QAnon claim. Now, that's the background, and that's the origin of clearance, and that is really, in a nutshell, it's wrapped up. There's actually some really interesting reading, and I've, uh, as usual, uh, included a bunch of links in the show notes to some great uh, background and history on that. Um, even the Wikipedia pages have some really good info on this as far as a historical purpose, and there's plenty of discussion on that. But now let's let's dive into the theology, and let's get to perhaps an understanding of why this is really so interesting and fascinating to people. We'll do that first by jumping into some events that have brought security clearance really to national attention. In June of 2014, a worker at the Y-12 National Security Complex in Tennessee uh, was surprised to find nuclear secrets inside a trash bag marked for disposal, along with some other uh, standard trash. They took a closer look and found uh, more than or 19 more documents uh, in the bag that were either marked classified or were later determined uh, to contain information that should have been labeled secret. In May of 2015, uh, a former CIA spy jailed for, was jailed for 42 months after giving the New York Times uh, some details on clandestine U.S. Uh, activity to sell flawed nuclear information to Iran. In 2013, a defense contractor who works in intelligence at uh, the U.S. Pacific Command had been charged with giving national security secrets to a 27-year-old Chinese woman he was dating. Internationally, even, in 2012, a Royal Navy petty officer was sentenced for passing nuclear secrets to British agents posing as Russian spies. Now, the reason I bring that up is that while we're discussing specifically the uh, U.S. security clearance history here and the Q classification. This is something that's applicable to multiple countries. Every country has some level of security clearance structure and accessibility to protect national secrets, national interests, and, and uh, national security. Now, of course, I'm not even going to get into the details here, but we have some famous leaks most recently with uh, uh Bradley Manning and Edward Snowden, you know, are our whistleblowers that leaked information uh, uh, to, site, to sites such as WikiLeaks and, and other areas. So these sort of events make for national u- news, and, and it can be quite frightening uh, to think that that clearly sensitive data uh, can is accessible by people that are willing to to uh, share these secrets. Uh, and that's what makes people question um, the, the 
history and the basis for these security clearances anyway. Does it, I mean, it, when you start looking at it, it may seem like they're handing these things out to anybody. And so let's talk about some of those misconceptions of security clearance. One of the big ones is this public perception as a get access to all secrets free card. The idea that, you know, it works in the movies of I have security clearance and therefore you have a badge and you get to walk around whatever government facility you're in waving your security badge, swiping your card, and having access to whatever room and whatever documentation and whatever computer files you might want. There's also this public uh, growing distrust of security procedures that really color how people view those with clearance and, and the information even being protected. Now, this is where I was going to jump in and find a bunch of statistics on some of the public perceptions on security measures. Really, I could only find a report that's actually rather dated now, came out in August of 1999, and so I didn't think I needed to really show the specific trends or the specific numbers, other than to show that in some areas between 94 and 1998, uh, there were some interesting trends on this public perception. People obviously still hold value in protecting national secrets, but people are, are, are less interested in uh, necessarily the classification of all technology for potential military development. Uh, and that's probably reflective of, of our uh, uh, you know technical, technological era here uh, in which a lot of things are... People are more technologically savvy. It's part of our everyday lives. There's new advancements um, all the time. And so, you know, to not see the idea that there's some stuff that, that needs to be held at, at such high levels for national security um, may be more of a foreign concept to some people. So let's kind of go over this, uh, this analysis by this security research center. Uh, and look at just some of the highlights on here. You know, they identified that that uh, this snapshot view of public thinking about these security-related issues uh, between 1994 and 98 uh, for them were both encouraging and uh, disconcerting. Uh, they believe that in general uh, the uh, public was supportive of what the federal government is doing in information security, personnel security, and counter-espionage programs. Uh, and, and even the idea that there was some strong public backing for areas such as uh, government efforts to reduce uh, the total inventory of classified holdings and uh, endorsement of personnel security investigations in general and inquiry into mental health history in particular. Uh, this seems to have grown as some of these leaks and stuff have uh, have occurred. Uh, they were supportive of the use of polygraph and, and random drug testing to ensure continuing reliability of the cleared workforce. In contrast, there were opinions about other aspects of the program that uh, the government should take as a, a less complacent uh, position. You know, they, they recognized that 
that in this time of greater threat to national security, um, in the targeting of technology for military use, the data actually show that the public is becoming less concerned with its protection than it was at the beginning of the survey. So that's 98 to 94. And again, that goes into what we discussed just a moment ago. You know, although support for personnel security investigations into all of the key areas is supported, there's actually signs that uh, the trend was a growing resistance to collecting information about things like private financial affairs. Even though the recent espionage cases point to financial indicators, you know, as one of the most productive areas for those early warning signs, obviously if there's some money to be made uh, and you can be sold, it's a little easier to get those secrets. And lastly, for this report, um, they identified that security professionals have begun to realize that based on all of this research on espionage occurring during and after the Cold War era, we need to place at least as much emphasis ensuring the continued reliability and loyalty of cleared personnel as, as we have on uh, expended on the initial clearance process. And, and that goes into a bit of the history on the clearance process. There's quite a bit and it's quite in-depth. And even though we didn't discuss the background process for getting security clearance, that was the most extensive part of it. And then the maintenance of the security clearance uh, was, was much less arduous. But, um, you know, public support for certain types of the monitoring for, for cleared employees, I mean, it's ambivalent at best. It's right there at around 50%, except for coworker intervention. intervention. In other words, hey, they want them to be policing themselves. If these people are, are cleared, then they should be able to identify those uh, that they're working with um, if there should be any sort of red flags being raised. And, you know, this is where people weren't entirely comfortable with the idea of the departments and the organizations necessarily overseeing all of this confirmation. And perhaps because of associations that people make with covert government surveillance and that concept of totalitarian regimes. Okay, so, you know, we've looked at that and, and, and a bit of that study. So let's look at really kind of some of these uh, statistics of, of levels of clearance um, held. Well, you know, with all of this talk of leaks and security risk, along with the analysis of, of policies, I mean, is it really a problem? You know, do we really have tons of people with high-level security clearances with all access to all matter of, of sensitive information? Well... Actually, not really. I mean, the U.S. population is at uh, just around 325 million. You know, of that, as we talked about, there's only, what, 4.9 million people with some level of clearance and only a quarter of those holding a top-level clearance. I mean, that is just over 1% of the population. So the truth is that while there are discussions and articles that I found discussing the, the concern that too many people have security clearances and, and so many people are running around with access to 
to uh, sensitive and potentially damaging information. The truth is almost no one has it. And and that's the idea. (laughs) So uh, maybe it's, it's more that, that it's an unfamiliar concept, you know, for people. They don't have it unless they have a need for it. So, I mean, what does Q clearance really probably mean, you know, to the clearance holder? Well, specifically for this this DOD information, and, and really for any. I mean, the security clearance is intended to restrict access to classified information, material, and security areas to those who are found trustworthy and those who are in positions that require such access. The, the clearance is only one of two requirements that must be met to obtain access. And the second requirement in all of this is an official need for specific access to perform one's job. That's that infamous need-to-know basis that we all know so well uh, from movies and, and TV is security clearance is only part of the big picture. Uh, just because they clear you for that does not mean that that you have access to everything. You have to have a need uh, as well to gain access. It's basically a permission slip. So before we wrap this up, um, you know we've gone through a bit of that that history on the clearance. Q clearance is real. It's very real, and it is a very high level clearance. Uh, and it was born out of the this history of of the Atomic Energy Commission, the Manhattan Project, and the development of, at the time, uh, extremely unknown and an extremely volatile topic of nuclear weapons technology. You know, we also really discussed that that Q clearance um, is well, security clearance in general has some misunderstandings within the public. And and largely, when t- people are talking about security clearances, they've heard about these various leaks, about various um, uh, details getting out, and stories of somebody that has shared this information where they shouldn't. You know, and also the times are changing. It's the end of the the Cold War is long since over, and the the national framework for how stuff is considered classified and and how it's not you know what is and isn't it ha- has changed i mean behind every single uh conspiracy theory out there is some concept of hidden and classified information so let's let's put this through the endurance test you know how long has this per- perception been around and that's the perception that q clearance is somehow this above top secret level clearance. Well, you know, most recently this surfaced before the the 2016 presidential election uh, with with QAnon. But it, it I found examples where it's been used in fiction before, probably because Q clearance sounds mysterious and it sounds pretty cool. Now, has it had a large influence in pop culture and media? Indirectly, I think so. The the current influence of this QAnon phenomenon has had uh, the media worked up. I mean, its influence has been explosive in the media. Is it still relevant today? 
yeah, well, you know, the, the clearance level still exists. I mean, it's part of an active and necessary clearance structure de- designed to protect some very sensitive areas of national security. And will it continue to capture public imagination going forward? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, once the current uh, conspirator du jour of QAnon has faded into the background, if it does, uh, you know, much like some of these others that have shared previous limelight, you know, like Snowden, like Manning, the the claim of, of Q clearance would probably be discarded for some other access claim that's equally unfamiliar and mysterious to the public. But... I will say that Q clearance uh, itself, because it is a Department of Energy uh, clearance, regardless of of someone's of people's thoughts about security clearances within the Department of Defense, that being held in the the White House and some of these other government secrets, maybe there are some things that are highly overclassified. But when we're talking about Department of Energy information and specifically nuclear weapons technology, you know, the, the, these seem to be a pretty valid uh, use for security clearance and that limited access structure. So because of that and because it's important and it's probably not going to get changed and, and it does, isn't talked about much in the news specifically with DOE, um, it, it's it's probably going to stay relevant, and, and it's definitely going to keep capturing people's thoughts and imaginations. So let's wrap this up. You know, I think I think the big takeaway to this discussion is is that we all need to take a step back from the cliff of perception that gives merit to this non-existent, above top secret access to the hallowed halls of government and and military secrecy. You know, regardless of what is secreted and and what nefarious goings-on may occur at the top levels within government, security clearances are really just permission slips that give initial approval for access to anything. You still need both job assignment of specific access and a need to know before actually getting your hands on anything. And those permissions can be taken away at any time. You know, if there is any merit to the current QAnon claims of Q clearance, then this person has more likelihood uh, in the ability to disclose major nuclear secrets than of inner workings in the current administration. Even with the concept of reciprocity, it means that this person came from DOE and is now inside the administration active enough in day-to-day functions to have both active access, and need to know. I mean, that shouldn't be too hard for some creative investigators to figure out in a list of names. And again, security clearance, because it's held by such a limited number of people, is mysterious in its own right. I mean, I worked overseas for a bit, and I carried a, a, a secret clearance for a relatively short time. And I can tell you, I had access to nearly nothing. I mean, I had some pretty fun spreadsheets that had budget numbers on them, but that's about it. And I've been out of that work for a while. So I'm pretty sure that I have access to absolutely nothing, and I have no current uh, uh, clearance, you know, active clearance. So 
that you know that kind of sums up my perception of how this this uh, clearance uh, this security clearance concept works in this claim, and that's perhaps why I've been more cynical with this claim uh, in this particular uh, situation. Now, again, that's just discussing that singular claim for QAnon with the the basis of Q clearance being uh, predicating all of this access to the information. As far as all the rest of the claims, that's probably for another show. Okay, that is all for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email, contact at conspiracytheoryology.com. Join the Facebook group, find me on Twitter, at TheoryologyPod, or just recommend the show to others. You know, there's not any higher compliment than to know that you shared the show with others. Let them know that they can hear the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and through pretty much any podcast app they might have. Or just send them to the website. All the info info can be found at the show's website, conspiracytheoryology.com, including how to support the show on the new Patreon page. Music is by Adam Henry Garcia. If you like what you hear uh, and you want to hear more of Adam's music, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. Now I'll see you again in two weeks when we'll tackle another theory and make sense of the public popularity. Until next time, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology.